Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. You'll recognise the accent, because um, Jack comes from the same town as I do, we've both got an Ayrshire accent. Um, there's one or two Scots here as well who might just be able to pick that up. When I went to Lancaster to work for five years as a Baptist pastor there, uh, some people would say to me, I didn't understand a word you said. But you people here have got great advantage because your own pastor is Scots, so you must be tuned in somewhere in the brain anyway. Um, so let's just pray before we look at God's word this morning. I'm going to be looking at Psalm 27 and just more or less chat over the psalm and give you one or two ideas that perhaps you can take home to encourage you with. So let's just pray. Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit might be amongst your people. We pray for each one, Lord. You know our needs and you know our difficulties, you know our trials, and you know how much we need to hear from you. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak and you will bless us this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I chose a subject, and I I said to Jack, I'm going to move this. Um, I said to Jack, I've chosen a subject and I've chosen a psalm, chose Psalm 27, and we'll read a bit about it this morning. If you have a Bible, fine. If you don't, well, you just need to listen to me, but there we are. Um, So I said to Jack, I've chosen the title, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What To Do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And Jack said, I spoke on that two years ago. That's what he said to me. And uh, you're nodding. I'm glad you can nod. (laughs) And you can tell him what the difference is between him and I at the end. Because he spoke in Isaiah, uh, interestingly enough, and that gave me encouragement. If he'd spoken in Psalm 27, I'd need to get back to the drawing board and do something different entirely for you. But there we are. Uh, I was told to tell you a bit about myself. I don't really want to do that too much. I'll just say that uh, I became a Baptist minister after being a businessman for many years. Jack will tell you a similar story to himself. And my brother Jim could tell you the similar story as well. He's a year older than I am. Not Jack, uh, Jim is. Not Jack's not a year older than I am, uh, just in case the girls, my niece is here this morning. I promised I wouldn't mention them by name, by inference, um, can tell you. So, yeah, I was a businessman for many years, a regional sales manager for 10 years. I was the data manager, I was the general manager, and there we are. You can work that one out yourself. I then became a Baptist minister in Ayr. <clears throat> I was asked after I went to college, the Baptist College Seminary there in Glasgow, to use the American term, uh, to go to Ayr, I was in Ayr for three years, I was in Lancaster for five years, I was an International Baptist, which is an American church in Aberdeen, for three years, I was in Tenerife, Los Cristianos, for three years, I came back to Ayr, and uh, I was just over the hill from Ayr, in a wee place called Mebo, I was there for ten years, and uh, in that ten years we spent two months in Tenerife, we never planned it by the way, we never planned any of it, and we've been there for back and forward for a month, month each half of the year. For the last 10 years, we started doing one year, and we've done it for 10 years. Which next year will bring, I don't know. But there we are. We're here this morning. Um, now, not of any superiority. I feel it's a, a joy and a privilege to be here this morning. I was thinking through this. I never thought when I was growing up I'd be a Baptist minister or a minister. But I never thought I'd be coming along to the church which my brother is a pastor of and speak in his behalf whilst he goes away somewhere else. It's amazing what God will do with us if we just put our hands into his hands and say, you lead me, you guide me, and you bless me. So there we are. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, my title is a bit quirky. 
Um, but you probably know that scene, you've heard it before um, from Jack. And uh, I believe it's very relevant today to today's secular society. And, you know, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And I think a lot of people are in that sort of situation today. They really don't know what to do. And they're looking for direction. They don't know where they're going to direct, get the direction, their guidance from. And uh, when we look at God's word, it's always true. It's always full of hope. I've read this psalm many a time in hopeless situations with people who really have coming through great difficulties. Many today, many of your friends, I'm, I hope not you, are like sheep without a shepherd. And they're looking for various things. They're almost like, if you like, an analogy like a ship without a rudder. And they've no direction. They're going nowhere in their life. And uh, I just want to say to you this morning, if you're like that, it's not God's purpose for you to be like that. God wants to give you leading and God wants to give you guiding and wants to bless you. Many others feel they've no true worth to their life. Um, I watched a program, a discussion on a very serious subject last week of severe depression. And, uh, and all in the, who were interviewed on the television had a great sense of worthlessness. Uh, and they wished to end it all, and many of them said. And uh, I just wish someday in the conversation we'd say to them, well, actually, God loves you. And you're full of worth, as we heard this morning in the talk. That was quite good. And uh, your poor self-worth of yourself is really not shared by God because he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. And we would say, if we were there as Christians, we agree with God and we love you too. And that's part of the fact of being in a church family. I went to general manager's course in a university in Glasgow many years ago. I think I was about 28 or 29. And one of the visiting lecturers was an MP. It just so happens he was a Labour MP. And he talked about the change in the circumstances in living and in managing people and running companies. And he said to us that each one of us, because of the circumstances, we need to change our management styles to reflect this downward slide. And these are his words, not my words. And this sort of frustrated me after a while, and I said to him, what you're saying is that morality is going downhill, and we are all to go downhill as well, as, fact as, as far as our style of living is concerned. And he said, well, it would be better if it wasn't the case. And I said, well, wouldn't it be better to stand at the top of the hill and try and pull people upward rather than go down the hill with them in the circumstances? And his words were, I wish we could, he says. And... Uh, he then went home. And the next morning we waited him to go give us the second part of the lecture and he didn't turn up. And somebody from the university came up and said, I'm sorry, the gentleman, and he gave his name, I can't remember his name, he passed away last night. And I thought to myself, quite poignant when you think about it. A fallen society is made up of fallen people. <laughs> people, I would say this morning, who have never accepted God's provision for them. And sometimes that is the case. And that's where we as Christians can do something for the society. But the psalm, I like the psalm, Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? You like to say that with me this morning? You say, oh, can't remember that. I'll do the first line, you can follow me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
Of whom shall I be afraid? It's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? Encourages you, you. Written by King David. And uh, when people were seeking to kill him, I'm sure you have nobody seeking to kill you this morning. But he wrote this whilst that was happening. And you've got to read that into context. Almost as if all the people who loved him turned against him. Uh, even his own family, Absalom, Saul, who was partly on his side at times. And uh, they sought to kill him to gain his crown. And David must have wondered what was going on. What is God doing in these circumstances? And what am I going to do? Um, but for him, it wasn't the headless chicken routine. And it wasn't the losing himself. You know, people today, you've got a phone this morning. My wife's trying to be, find access to her phone for two or three days now. And they told her she was a person undesirable and so on. I knew that for years. And they barred it <laughs> for some reason. But anyway... Don't lose yourself so much in social media to the point, in fact, you don't communicate with God. Um, Don't crowd out your life with trivialities, and people do that. But not for David was the worshipping of idols, as we do today. An idol of flesh is still an idol made by the media and enlarged by the imagination of false reality. And that happens in life, and this reality crumbles away like dust and leaves us nothing when we're under pressure and we're under difficulties. David's mind was focused on God. You can see that in the psalm. You can read it when you go home. Um, he would say to you, okay, I don't know what to do, but God, who knows the end from the beginning, he knows what to do. And so he calls out, as you have done, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's as if he's addressing himself and you'll find David does say that he says to his own spirit there's a sense we've got to say to this inner man listen I believe in God Uh, and you tell and you convince yourself yes I do believe in God the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid he's telling us that we should hide in Christ he says in verse 4 one thing I ask of the Lord and this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord All the days of my life. Now that doesn't mean you come here every day. (laughs) What it means is you dwell in Christ. Big theme in the New Testament, in Christ. Paul has a big theme in Christ. And if you're a Christian and you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're in Christ. (laughs) And because of the fact he is eternal, you are eternal. And his love for you is eternal. And that will never change. In Christ, all my life, no matter what happens, no matter... What happens that will not take away the relationship we have in him? And David realized that. But sometimes in our lives, we need to compare ourselves with God. A good thing to do that. And we can say, as the old song said, I am weak, but he is strong. And that's what we used to sing way back in the dark ages when I was a boy. And we told us that God is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. In every circumstance you find yourself, whether it's an illness or a desire or your life, where you're going, you're in his hands, and he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing, and that's why we pray to him. That's why we say, God, you show me. You lead me. You guide me, as David is saying here. He's omnipresent. Sometimes we forget that. He doesn't just arrive here on a Sunday morning amongst his people. He's with you all the time. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says, and I find that very encouraging. I find it very encouraging when I read the paper and I read of a pastor coming out of the prison after being 30 years in China. And the first thing he does 
as he goes out to Asda and the witnesses for the gospel of Christ. Not to Asda, but you know what I mean. He does. What would we do if we were 30 years in jail and we were subject to that tyranny? Why did they go out almost the next day and do it? It's because Christ is with them in the prison. And he promises never to leave, nor forsake him. So we're going to focus. If we have a problem in life, no matter what the problem is, our focus should be on him. And David tells us that, I think it's verse 4. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. It, I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Get your focus right in life and you will find the beauty of Christ. It's overwhelming when we consider it. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him means you actively do something in his temple. So David says to us in this psalm, and that's me getting back to my subject, you say, well, you've been off your subject. No, I don't think I have. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And if I said to you, do you know what to do about everything in your life? Do you know what to do when something happens you don't expect to happen? And I sort of alluded to the fact I'd been around for a little while, and I told you all the high points in my life. I could tell you all the low points in my life when I didn't know what to do, and we had to trust in God. So what he says is this, when you don't know what to do, number one, praise the Lord. That's what he tells us to do in the psalm. <laughs> that may seem, that's difficult. Why should I do that? I'm feeling a bit depressed. He says, praise the Lord, he says. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord, he says. <laughs> what he's saying to us in this psalm is this. And remember, people were out to kill him when he wrote it. <laughs> he says, turn away from your problem. And seek the face of the Lord to the exclusion of all others, all circumstances. Turn and focus on what he can do, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God in your life and in my life. Today, we make a big focus on self, on on ego. Ego just means self. Our focus as Christians should always be on the Lord. Big challenge to us when we live in a society such as we're in. We have to dwell in him. We have not to allow our mind to be dominated by thoughts or situations which will change anyway. When I was a businessman and I was in Carlisle, I used to have a difficult job. And part of it was television, media, setting up things for the next day. I was running six big DIY stores. And I used to go to bed at night in Nower Drive in Carlisle. And all these things buzzing through my mind. And what I did was I wrote them all down. And it was surprising when I wakened in the morning how big they were at night and how small they were in the morning. <laughs> and that's a wee sort of situation we can do. We turn, turn to God. We have to dwell in Christ. We have to praise him in all circumstances. We say, thank you, Lord, for solving my problems in the past. And here's my present problem, just to put it on top of that. And your problem is nothing to him. It's a lot to you. It's not a lot to him. God will always respond when we praise him. And when we worship him, you'll notice if you look at the bit about the Holy Spirit, when Christ promises the Holy Spirit, he says, he shall glorify me, doesn't it? And the secret of all our worship, whether personal, private, corporate, is to glorify Christ in our lives. Praise exercises our soul and it changes our focus away from our little problems to him. 
And it changes our self-worth to realize that God thought so much of us, he sent his only son to Calvary's cross. And when we believe and repent of our sin, he forgives us and fills us with his mighty, powerful Holy Spirit. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So David speaks of this joy and adversity. He says, I will sing and make music to the Lord. I will sing, notice it says. I'm not going to let somebody else sing. I will sing by himself. He was a great singer, of course we know that. Not everyone's got a great voice. When I was young, I sang with my brother Jim. And my, brother, my mother used to say, you sing loud because he can't sing. <laughs> I'm not telling you about Jack because he might be just listening, you see. <laughs> I will sing. So use your voice and sing to the Lord. I used to drive along a big company car and I would have a tape on and I'd be singing. I'm sure the folk around about me in places like Glasgow and Edinburgh and Aberdeen must have thought it was off my head. But I was praising the Lord as I went along and I found that very helpful to me. It might help you. It says we should make music and the guys were doing that this morning. But I would say to each of you, if you play an instrument, don't get taken up with the playing. And these guys don't do that. I know they don't. You make music to the Lord. It could be cello. It could be a guitar. It could be a drum. It could even be a paper comb. But if you do it to the Lord, have you ever played a paper comb? No. See, missing something in life. <laughs> I know some Sunday probably has. <laughs> we really like the children of Israel, aren't we? We can round Jericho. You know the story of Jericho where they went round and round and round and round and there was a great shout and the walls fell down. We're going round and round the society that we're in today and we're witnessing to what God can do in our life and that's a wonderful thing. And with God, the victory is always there. Quickly, the second thing I would suggest that he is telling us when we don't know what to do, is pray. <laughs> he says, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. The Lord has always promised to, to uh, listen to us. I don't know how many of you watched the golf in Scotland, in St Andrews, and saw the vagaries of the Scottish weather, not the ladies, which is as bad. But I was very taken with the guy called Zach um, Johnson, I think it was his name. And he was the winner of the Open Golf and he is a Christian, um, he's a Baptist, that doesn't make him a better Christian, by the way. <laughs> At one point I wasn't a Baptist. And he said he needed help as he went round the golf course. And what did he quote? He quoted Psalm 27. And I thought it was wonderful, I wasn't going to put this in. I didn't realise that he was even there until I was thinking about it, suddenly slotted into my mind. He quoted Psalm 27 over and over and over. How relevant is that? The last verses... I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. So he went home with a million and a half pounds in his pocket. <laughs> because of that, <laughs> I don't know. That will not all have what's happened. And, <laughs> but one thing I thought was very good for you family people here this morning, he says he did not want to be defined by the wind, by the fact he was open golf champion. He wanted to be defined by his relationship to his wife and to his family. I thought it was wonderful in um, that circumstance. And my brother Jim said to me, I'm glad he won because I knew fine he would testify to what the Lord done in his life. That's wonderful. Changes his heart. Yes, he was brought up, this guy, in Iowa. Poor community. Brought up almost as an orphan. And recently he gave $500,000 to the poor in Iowa, where he came from. He's a member of Orlando Baptist Church, from what I can understand. So I'm going to say to you that God is the only one who can give us direction in life. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. That's what he says. God is the one who gives us direction and guidance, especially in difficult times. 
Thomas, I'm his namesake, I think. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And this is a good question. People are still asking this question today. And Jesus did not tell Thomas that he was going to go to India, where I think Jack goes there occasionally. He didn't tell him that after many years of service in India, somebody would pierce him through the front of an altar with a lance and kill him at the altar. No, he didn't say that to Thomas at all. He didn't say to him, well, you're going to go to India, and after so many years, you're going to be killed for my sake. He didn't say that. What he said to him was, follow me. He says, for I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He didn't tell men about that. He says, I am, I am, depicts that he is God eternal. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And that's what he says to you this morning. <laughs> so the answer to the conundrum really is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Is really to follow Christ. It is to pray, praise God. It is to pray to God. A friend of mine passed away, you might know the name, Jean de Vries, uh, three weeks ago. And uh, I found out from Glasgow Herald, he never told me, and I'd known him for 40 years. But he was a young boy, he was in Holland, and the Nazis took over in Holland. And uh, his father and his brother were taken away to Auschwitz and never came back. So his mother was left, his mother was a good Christian lady, and she was left in a situation without a husband, and without a young son, and only this young boy, Jan, or John, whatever you like to call him. What did she do? Well, she started taking people in and protecting them against the Nazis, maybe Jewish people, Christian people. And Jan, as a young boy, said to himself, if God, if you take me through this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Studied pharmacy, tended a grave belonging to a British airman, and somebody came from Scotland and said, that's our son, who took care of this? He said, I've been taking care of it for years. He said, when you go through the college, you can come to Scotland and we'll pay for you to come to Scotland. So he did this, he studied pharmacy, came to Scotland, met the love of his life. Better than that, she was an heiress and she had a great big mansion in, in Troon near the golf course. There's four lovely daughters, one of whom is a pharmacist today. And he served all over the UK, he was a herbalist, pharmacist, and so on and so forth. And he even was over at Charlie, I believe, in Harley Street, and in Scotland, Ireland. And I went to see him um, four or five months ago at a sore shoulder. Maybe I should have went to see Sunday. went to see him, and he said, oh, I can give you some for that. And as I looked at him, I saw his face was very yellow, and I said to him, I heard you haven't been very well. And he said, well, the reason I'm not very well is my kidney is not functioning very well. And I need to go for dialysis. And things, Tom, are not good, you see. So I'm back again to him. And it's always good to put hope into difficult circumstances. And I took him a book by Charles Swindoll. You maybe read it on hope. And I gave it to him. And I said to him, you've given many people hope over many, many years. I want you to give you this. It might give you hope. And he thanked me very much for that. And he expressed the fact that those of us in Christian ministry and Christians give hope to people. And then I heard two weeks ago that he'd passed away. And the reason he had a bad kidney was he received a piece of shrapnel into his system when he was a young boy by a bullet from a Nazi trooper. And he died, and he's passed away. I just thought about it. My cousin told me that he passed away doing a clinic, still working 
on behalf of his mother, almost, and he's promised to God, I will serve you for the rest of my life. That's basically what he says. So if you don't know what to do, and I alluded to this to you at the beginning, in the life of people you know, if you don't know what to do, start by asking God. Don't run around a headless chicken, ask him for his leading and his guidance and his direction. Yes, pray with someone that maybe is a Christian for a long while. Moses would tell us, we haven't looked at Moses, he would say, don't stand at the water and grunt and groan, go across the water, he would say. Abraham would say to us, have faith in God and look for that city whose builder and maker is God. David, the master of worship, would say to us, praise God and focus on his part in your life. He would say, pray to God who will always answer you, who will never leave you nor forsake you. Jeremiah was told by God, call upon me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your difficulty is. You may not have any this morning, maybe a good day, and you're eating plenty of sweets and biscuits and coffee, but you might have a big problem. And you might have to give that problem to God and pray with somebody over it. Whatever your problem, whatever your trial, whatever your weakness, it'll not be too big for God. For God is almighty. And before I pray, I want to read the last two verses to you. <clears throat> and I'm going to read the first part, stanza. And you're going to read it after that. And I hope that that expresses the voices last day so far. Uh, <clears throat> it says this. You read to repeat, repeat this after me. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. So let's just pray and the guys can lead us. Lord, we wait upon you this morning and we bring the things that give us problems and the difficulties. It may well be our own personality and the way we do things. And we'd ask you to change us and to bless us by your saving power. We pray, Lord, you'll give us direction through our lives we thank you, Lord. Help us to walk in your footsteps and to walk behind you as a disciple. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless us and bless your word to us this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.